there was a very good chance that we wouldn't make it through the other side. And my team made a lot of sacrifices and um, reduced hours and was still working anyway. And very proud to have come through the other side and, and be back and be growing and helping more people. As the social platforms go, you know, I love them all equally as my children. They all have their place. It's again comes down to that strategy. You know, you are here if you're trying to reach this audience and achieve this goal. This one is really crap for this, but really amazing if you're trying to reach people over the age of 60. This one is going to be really good if you're trying to raise money because it's got embedded fundraising options. Like they all have their place in the ecosystem. And obviously as an individual, I'm going to like one more than another using it myself. But that's where strategy comes in because people tend to pick the one they like and pick the one they feel most comfortable on instead of picking the one that's actually going to get them the outcome their organisation needs to grow. Purpose Tea Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Alicia Hancock, a very warm welcome to Purpose Tea Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to join you. How did you get your job? That's where I thought I'd start. Oh, how did I get my job? I guess I created it, <laughs> for want of a better way to say it. I guess working in this space, you know, I worked as a journalist and a magazine editor for a really long time. So my background's that storytelling. But when I started my business, I realized that there was this opportunity to tell stories that weren't just about interviewing celebrities and making them more famous or promoting products. We can actually tell stories that would change the world for people that could really make a difference. And that's kind of where it came from and the concept behind Hancock Creative and what we do now. So you're a reformed journalist and editor, is that right? I, I love the reformed. Yes, <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, so I'm still very much a, a content-based person. Everything I do comes from the lens of storytelling. So I spent about 15 years in that space, predominantly as a lifestyle journalist. So I've interviewed, you know, Adele, Matt Damon, Sylvester Stallone, you know, um, celebrities in all kind of different spaces in that lifestyle area, authors, people like that. Um, and yeah, kind of just fell into this space of impact and realizing that those same skills as an editor or a journalist can be so easily applied to the nonprofit and the cause and the impact space. Except when they tell their stories, it actually makes a difference for people. It actually does something good in the world and makes tomorrow a little bit better than today was. And that's kind of what fires me up, I guess. And did it come from a point of being disillusioned or? I think so. There were certainly some experiences working in the media where I had those moments that I thought this is just not how things should go and how I would run my own organisation. And that was certainly an impetus for me to start kind of my own thing. Um, everything from, you know, a punch clock kind of scenario where everybody had to check in and check out and were, you know, told off as such if they if they were coming in late. And that just didn't correlate to things like performance. So that was kind of one of my red flag moments. And there was very much that boys club culture in the kind of media space as well, where it was very limiting. Um, so that taught me a lot about, I guess, what I wanted to be as a manager or what I wanted to do as a business. But it's kind of been a slow process getting into this cause space, but now I've been here for sort of 10, 11 years in the business now, and it's it's just something I love. Like, I just feel like it makes such a difference what we do, and especially those moments when someone comes back to you and go, 
hey, you taught me how to do that cool thing on Instagram. And as a result of that, we just raised all this money, which has now helped us do this for this group of people. Um, that's pretty special. And at times if you kick yourself when it's been hard to earn the bigger bucks or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more difficult often in the nonprofit space around, you know, remuneration. Is that, has that been challenging? I've never regretted it, um, but it, it is different. So I guess I always came into this with the idea of we call ourselves a profit for purpose business. So we're structured as a business, not as a charity, because personally, I feel like the whole not-for-profit or non-profit thing is, is quite a misnomer that confuses people. And there's a lot of challenges with the sector. But what it does mean is that as a business, we're not about profit. We're not chasing money. We're chasing impact and outcome and making a difference. And the challenge with that is always going to be that, you know, when things go wrong or things are unexpected, COVID for the obvious example, things get tough pretty quickly. So there's definitely been challenges. And sure, I'd love to say it'd be nice to earning, you know, big salaries like I used to, which obviously I don't anymore, but I wouldn't go back to it. Um, what I do now matters. It makes a difference to people. And for me, that's always been more important than money. It's, I get to give opportunities to people. I get to teach people. I, I think that's pretty special. And you've been doing it 12 years. What, I bet it's changed uh, a lot. now, yeah. Yeah, but I bet it's changed a lot. So especially um, online. So you do a lot of, you know, global stuff, don't you? Yeah, so we're very much um, that kind of social media and digital marketing. So I guess in a nutshell, if I said what we sort of do at Hancock Creative, you know, we tell the stories that change the world. So we help causes find their stories, get those amazing stories out of their brains and out of their organisations, out there into the world to help them actually create more sustainable causes to grow, to be more profitable, to be more successful, to do all those things they need to do. And obviously when I first started doing this, it was literally like, Facebook was a relatively new thing. Um, people were only just starting to get business pages. Um, we literally learned by doing and managing client accounts before we sort of moved into this space. And it wasn't that long before we realized we were one of the few people out there in the space that really knew what they were doing. And we kind of fell into the nonprofit space, which we realized we just absolutely loved being involved in. And it kind of went from there. But look, the landscape has changed hugely look it's changed hugely just in the last 18 months yeah. with everything going on so it's constantly evolving mm. and how do you stay in touch you know or in front of uh, algorithm changes um fads you know does, how do you do you constantly uh in learn mode absolutely look you can't be a teacher without constantly learning you have to always be seeing what's new. And pre-pandemic, you know, I was traveling to the States a couple of times a year. I was going to different conferences around the world, tracking down kind of the best speakers, making sure I was rocking up at stuff that's being run by Facebook, by Instagram, by LinkedIn. So I'm actually learning kind of from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Um, and then I see my job as then to take that information and make it simpler make it more accessible and make it more relevant to the nonprofit space. Because most of the information you find out there about digital marketing and social media, it's for small business, it's for corporate, it's not for the cause and impact space, and it is quite different. But I also do believe that while the technology is constantly evolving, you know, there's a new feature every day, there's something changing, that's, you know, it's important to be across the algorithm, it's important to understand these things, but honestly, for nonprofits and causes, the better outcome comes from do you know your story? 
Can you communicate it well to people? Do you know who you're trying to talk to? Do you know where those people are? If you can get those fundamental strategic things right, it doesn't matter if you don't know how to make a TikTok or a reel or you're not using the latest poll feature on Instagram. The technology matters less than the strategy. If you know who you're talking to, you can talk to them in a compelling way, you're going to get great results regardless of how technical you are and how across you are the the latest and greatest things. So I think it's a bit of a line between the two. A lot of people in this sector are afraid of the technology, afraid of keeping up, but often what's holding them back is not the tech. It's actually just the lack of planning and strategy behind telling their story. Yeah, I I love the fact that you can tell your story in a really authentic way. And actually, you know, the storytelling is probably the most important, actually, the the medium or how you get it across doesn't have to be perfect often. And that's probably the biggest change in, you know, across a lot of organisations, people from within the organisation can tell the stories and they can use all sorts of ways of doing it. Is there a particular cause that resonates that you feel like you've, you or your team have made the most difference to? Oh, that's such a big call because there's just so many. I mean, we work with people all over the world. Um, I guess for us, it's about volume of impact as well. So um, over the last, um, I think since about 2016, we've trained 17,000 causes around the world for free. So that's certainly our biggest probably impact metric because we're like, if each one of those people that attends just takes one piece of advice, implements it and gets a benefit, and then the butterfly effect of somebody else sees it or they teach somebody else, that impact is huge. So I guess that's one of the kind of key things we focus on. Um, From there, it's all about those win stories. And sometimes it's just about someone coming to us and saying, I was really scared of social. And um, an example of a client would be Kelly from Foxglove Project, who used to call Facebook fake book um, and hated it, saw no benefit in it. And, you know, their first year on social media raised $50,000 just from extra donations that came through without them even asking for it, just because they had an online presence. And now they live stream their videos. You know, we've got um, people like Pericross Spinal Research Foundation, who um, obviously raise money for um, spinal research for people who've had accidents or, or medical conditions. And they set out to raise $20,000 from an end of financial year campaign in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and we worked with them on a strategy and to have them come back afterwards and say, we actually were just short of $100,000 raised. So it was only five times their goal and it was all just done through social media. Phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, it's, that stuff is incredible, but it's not all just about fundraising, you know. Um, we've worked with people like a Hospital Foundation who used Facebook to recruit 280 volunteers in a couple of weeks for an event and it's all done digitally. So for me, the reward is kind of the twofold. It's individuals going, I have the confidence to do this. I feel like I can. I have some direction. I have clarity. I'm not wasting time. I'm not wasting money. I love that. Um, But then the other side, of course, is those win and success stories when someone can come back to us and say, hey, you know, our domestic violence shelter did a post on Facebook after you taught us how to do this. And we just got enough underwear and pajamas donated to, to give the women the shelter clothes for the next three months. Like they're the aha moments. And for some charities, it's a small thing that they got given, but it means the world to them. That's kind of our big why. That's kind of what keeps us going when things are hard and they do get hard when you're in the impact space. But when you know that you're actually making a difference and it's contributing to so many different areas 
yeah, yeah, you'd be the same, I'm sure. But that that's what keeps you sort of sticking around and and keeps you wanting to do the next thing, keeps you inspired. And as being an entrepreneur, albeit a social one, is it a natural fit for you? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know that I've necessarily even thought about that, but um, I guess in my career I've always been the natural sort of leader. Um, everywhere I've kind of worked, I've sort of started out in one thing and then within a year it's like, oh, I've taken over running the whole thing and launched three new things and, and was responsible for this and then merged department. And, uh, you know, that's just always been naturally me, looking for a better way of doing things, um, looking for the growth opportunities or what's new and I guess always looking for new challenges. So uh, I definitely think that is kind of in my DNA. I'm always looking for something exciting and interesting and um I can't help but always strive for the next level or the next thing that's better. So I guess in that way, yeah, it's true. And could you work for someone else now or are you actually unemployable? <laughs> I think I've pretty much broken myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think it would be pretty tricky to ever go back down that road again. Um, I think, you know, um, obviously for me, I want Hancock Creative to be here for the next 20, 30, 40 years and um, to keep doing what it's doing and that's my ideal. But um, I think even if that didn't happen, I, I would still be creating and supporting. I mean, I lecture at university um, every second year on uh, social media and do other things like that. So, but yeah, I think going back to a traditional office kind of marketing manager or journalist role, I'm not so sure that I'd do that. <laughs> yeah. And toughest day in the office and, and or has there been a few tough days and how did you deal with them? Oh, there definitely has been um, some tough days in, in so many different ways. Um, you know, growing as a profit for purpose business, literally growing this from being me in a back bedroom in Perth, Western Australia, one of the most isolated cities in the world, just me and my cat, <laughs> to sort of um, actually now being someone who can say, look, in the course of this week, I'm talking to you and all your audience in the UK. Um, I'm doing a workshop for women in business and social entrepreneurs in Nepal on Wednesday. Um, we're running a conference for North America um, that same day. You know, having that kind of impact is 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 pretty amazing. So going through that evolution. But in terms of hardest days, look, um, for us, it was definitely COVID. Um, when that kind of happened literally overnight in Australia, because we went through um, physical lockdowns where obviously people couldn't leave their houses. I know UK, you did some very similar things. Um, suddenly overnight, our clients were having to close because when you talk about not-for-profits, you're also talking about art galleries and you're talking about uh, cafes for not-for-profit and lots of other different people in that sort of space. And literally overnight they were closed. So suddenly nobody could pay their bills and no one knew what was going on. And we were actually planning to fly out in a few days to an event in New Zealand we were running that had to be cancelled. We were planning US expansion. Um, you know, we'd done all these things to ramp up for this kind of international growth. And suddenly we found ourselves locked into kind of not just our state, but kind of our city couldn't travel, couldn't see our clients. Um, and, you know, very, very quickly into that, we we thought there was a very good chance that we wouldn't make it through the other side. And my team made a lot of sacrifices and um, reduced hours and we're still working anyway. And very proud to have come through the other side and, and be back and be growing and helping more people. But 
Um, there was a point there I even had to have the conversation with my husband to say, you know, if this all goes terribly belly up, you know, we could even lose our house, like, because we had so much invested in making this work. So that's a pretty scary thing to go through. Yeah, scary days. Um, and are you you proud of how you came through that? Oh, Look, absolutely. And look, it's not been easy and it's still not easy because, you know, I certainly didn't dream when all this happened in the start of 2020 that we would still be talking about this two years later, not let alone still be dealing with the day-to-day effects of, you know, new sanctions. We just had uh, new health regulations announced a couple of hours ago here that's going to impact um, venues and organisations and businesses. So it's still ongoing. But I also think there's always positives from this as well because it has caused people to innovate. It's caused people to think differently. A lot of nonprofits have had to embrace technology. They've had to build digital communities. They've had to take things online. And I think that's a really good thing for our sector because it's encouraged people to get outside their comfort zone, embrace technology and digital in new ways. And that can only be a positive thing for the future. So from an entrepreneur's perspective, of course, it's hard. Um, but I'm really proud of what we did. I mean, one of the first things we did when everything happened we didn't know if we were even going to survive. And yet we kind of went, people need us more than ever before. So we actually announced, um, I think we, I think it was like two weeks notice or something. We decided to put on a three-day conference called Unite 2020. And we actually brought together, now you're pushing my memory here, um, I think it was about 2,300 people um, registered for that. Event. And we had people from all over the world. So we had people from Mexico and Colombia and the UK. We had speakers from around the world donating their time from all over the world, like high profile, highly paid, incredible people who gave their time because they were all in lockdown to come and speak just to bring together the not-for-profit sector and support them during such a difficult time. So that is definitely on my list of things I'm most proud of, that while we're at the most risk and while we were having our hardest time, our natural instinct as a team was how can we help more? Yeah. How can we have a bigger impact? And are you a naturally confident person? I would say so. <laughs> um, I'm what a lot of people call an ambivert. Like a lot of people say I come across really confident and outspoken and think I'm very extroverted. But I also need my alone time and my thinking time and my space and, and things as well. So um, I certainly come across as a really confident person, but like any entrepreneur or like even any charity leader or anyone in this space, you need good people around you to lift you up and to build your confidence and to bounce things off. I have times where I doubt myself and I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing and we all make mistakes. But um, I think it's just about knowing who you are, having really clear values and having a really clear direction. And I find for me, that's always my go-to lean on when I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or I don't feel that 100% confidence. It's always coming back to, well, this is our ethos. This is who we are. This is what we're trying to build in the world. How does that answer my question? And nine times out of 10, the path is pretty clear. Yeah. And understanding partner? Ah, yes. My husband's pretty good. (laughs) He's pretty good, especially considering he's not um, entrepreneurial himself. We're having this conversation recently. Is like he couldn't do the stress of running what I do. He works for the government and it's not his cup of tea, but he's incredibly supportive and, and helps out a lot with a lot of things. And having a child as well, he picks up the slack when I'm traveling and doing all those kind of things. But nothing but supportive of um, kind of vision and the dream and very, very proud of what we do as well. So I'm certainly lucky in that respect. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have got as far as I have. Yeah, because tell me about your your week. It must be crazy. So you're 
you know, running a creative agency, you you uh, have a podcast, which I've I've listened to, which is wonderful. Um, you've got an events company. Um, you you know you've got and you've got a number of other things going on. What does what does a week look like for you? <laughs> it's a great question. So I guess it all kind of comes in the same umbrella for us. So we would refer ourselves more as a you know education organization rather than agency because we we're more about building capacity in other people to know how to do this stuff than we are doing it for them. That's kind of where our passion is. But it all kind of ties together um, in one bow. But it's really interesting you ask. Um, I did a entrepreneurial training program myself and one of the activities they did was the ideal work week activity where you sit down and map out what your perfect week looks like. And I realised pretty quickly I had no such thing. Like at best I have a perfect month. <laughs> because um, being a mum, I also have a rare autoimmune disease. So I have health issues and challenges. I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I run a company. Um, I rather look at the course of a month and go, what do I need to get into that time to make me happy? So making sure I have time to exercise and quality time with family and um, doing the things that are important. And it just means that you say no to things that don't matter. It means you have to be a little bit more focused on what's important to you and um, yeah, be okay with saying no and know that everything is going to be perfectly imperfect. Yeah, and I think often that comes with time and, and getting sort of comfortable in your own skin and realising that you can withstand global pandemics and other horrible things and still keep the lights on and still keep functioning and all that gives breeds confidence i think doesn't it those you know withstanding those things absolutely and look we're a big culture of making mistakes like i think if you're not making mistakes you're actually not doing a good job and that sounds really weird for a lot of people but it's like if you're not making mistakes it means you're not pushing yourself you're not trying new things you're not getting outside your comfort zone you're just doing the same old things so if we make mistakes it, it, you know as they say if you try something new you either um succeed or you learn and I'm such a big fan of that. Yeah, agreed. Like I mean, you know, I've done 74 podcasts. I've, I've, there's ones that never hit the um, airways because I didn't press record. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we all have those moments. Um, and just thinking about what you said, so you actually do some lecturing at a university, and you, you know, you do a whole lot of uh, teaching and online, um, and it. What's it like going from sort of more traditional lecturing for a you know for a traditional university, um, to, you know like because it feels like the education is just changing so much and how people can learn is changing so much, you know. It definitely is, and um, I can only go into the university environment under a fairly flexible kind of program. I'm. I can't remember what they call me, like a guest, special guest, or it's a certain type of unit, which basically means that we don't go through the same, um, I guess, rigorous, long uh, process of planning and doing everything. Because one of the things I guess I struggle with with that is in the space that we teach, if I created a whole course and program on how to do something in social media and then got it approved and went through certification and I get asked all the time why we don't have, um, you know, registered training organisation status, it's like because A, it's really expensive and that means I'm going to have to charge a lot more for my training, which is not what I want. I want my training to be accessible. But also because by the time I go through the whole process to get it all certified, it's all out of date and I don't want to be teaching people things that are already gone. I want to be teaching the people things tonight that, you know, just changed this morning or I just learned working with a client yesterday. 
I think that's where it's at these days. And definitely um, the way we learn and educate has had to change. And even my first experience lecturing during the pandemic where it was all virtual, it's a very different experience from when I went to uni. And I think it's very difficult on the younger people going through the process because they don't have that social aspect. They don't have the same interaction that we did when I was at uni. So I definitely think it's a lot different to what it used to be. Yeah, because all the debate, I remember doing a sociology degree and you know I was a Marxist in the first year and then <laughs> I was this, you know Foucaultian in the second year but it, all that stuff happened in conversations around the degree and you know you really feel for students because they've been locked up at home often certainly in the southern hemisphere that's for sure and in terms of you know vision for the future where you would like to be in five years ten years have you given much thought or are you just cracking on? Look, I'm always thinking about that. And I think you have to in this space. You always have to know where you're going. Otherwise, how do you decide what you're doing today or tomorrow or next week or next month if you don't know where you're going? But I also think take that with a grain of salt because in the current market, the only thing we really can predict is change. Um, There is so much uncertainty um, as to what's happening with travel restrictions and requirements and all that kind of stuff. So, so much of our plans at the moment are about planning for change and flexibility. But I do think you need to know where you're going and what that future does look like. So, um, for us, I guess we're investing a lot more of our time and effort into like tools and templates and resources that can be used by anyone, anywhere in the not-for-profit space who are trying to get into digital marketing anywhere in the world, Um, courses that are flexible, things that are accessible from home or from the office or from wherever you might be, kind of getting our students their hands on what they actually need when they need it. Um, And for us, our big thing is, you know, our our plan pre-pandemic is that we were opening this business in New Zealand and then we're going to get into the United States and Um, I think what this has given us as well is the ability to still have that international impact, just in an entirely new way. Mm. Uh, So that's the future for us, Um, getting known. Initially, we were only known in Perth, and we were kind of really well known in Australia, and then we built our reputation in New Zealand, and now we're building a following in the UK and the US and other spaces as well. So that's definitely the direction for us. Our goal is always to be that number one choice for not-for-profit and cause-based education. So I think we'll continue to add more types of courses, more training, and we just want to get it in front of more people that need our help and more people that need this kind of support know where to go to even find it. Because I think that's the biggest problem. A lot of people just don't even know where to go for help with social or digital. Um, They're sitting in their offices, maybe the only marketing person in the organisation, um, and they have no idea where to go to find help. So for us, it's always that balance. We have so many free resources and so much information we give out there. And then for people who really want to take it to the next level, then you know we have these programs and opportunities to actually work with us a little bit more and really hone their skills. So that kind of growth for us is definitely the next stage. Mm. And I, you know, in my listening of your podcast, I picked up some great stuff about, you know, reusing content, even from sort of like annual reports, which are normally shelved and never looked at, um, you know, but using those quotes, using that content and repurposing it and, and getting out to your stakeholders or getting out to your supporters. What would be the, what would be the one thing that you'd say to, um, you know, someone who's been charged with spreading the story or, or um, you know, 
getting out to people online for a cause. Is it is there anything that you think they really should be doing that they can't avoid? One word, strategy. The the most common thing I hear from people is that our social media is ad hoc. You know, we get a bit of time and we go, right, what are we going to post about? What am I going to tweet? What am I going to chuck here? What am I going to chuck there? And they kind of do bits and pieces and then they get busy and they come back to it and they go, well, why aren't we getting results? And often when I ask the question, well, what is success? What what are the results you want to get? They're like, well, I'm not really sure. It was just kind of, we knew we had to be there. So we've just been doing this and it comes back to strategy. All the students I work with, they're time poor, they're resource poor, and they're working with limited budgets. You can't afford to waste time and money being on social. And I often shock people with this. I'm the first to say, if you're doing Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, and you can't measure the result for your organization, stop doing it because you are just wasting your organization's money, time, and resources on something that's getting you nowhere. It just has to be a channel of resource that actually is helping you be more sustainable. It's bringing in volunteers. It's bringing in money. It's promoting your products. It's getting more people going to get a mammogram, whatever that looks like for your organization. But you have to be able to measure that. And you can't measure it if there's no plan. So however simple it is, you need some kind of strategic plan that says, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is the audience we're trying to achieve it from. This is where that audience is online and where we're going to talk to them. And these are the kind of stories that we need to tell those people to get them to move from kind of where they are to where they need to be to get to that goal or outcome. Um, Without a strategy, so many people are just wasting time and so many people are wasting money and they're just trying to do it all on their own. And um, yeah, that's probably my biggest frustration. And on the other side, there's there's too many companies and organisations out there that are preying on not-for-profits as well and telling them they need these $50,000 websites and these really fancy campaigns that just don't drive results for them when I believe all they need is just a little bit of training and support and most of the stuff they can do themselves. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've seen examples where, you know, an organisation has taken on somebody to advise them. They're a non-profit. They, it's very slick what they start producing. It's, you know, it's, it's regular. It's, it's on the face of it, incredibly professional. But actually, it just really lacks a connection, I think, and authenticity. And I think that that's the one thing I've really reflected on is, you can actually engage. I, know, I, f- I find myself engaging with content that is a little rough around the edges, but it, it feels real. Yeah. Right? You know? Vulnerability and transparency, they're things I talk about all the time. Like, uh, you know, I, I tell people this constantly. Like they're like, oh, you know, when I tell people to do video, they're like, oh, we can't afford video. We don't have budgets for videographers and fancy shoots. I'm like, no, no. I'm talking about video, getting a little tiny $10 ring light at a stand and chucking your phone on it and doing a live and just talking to people about what's going on, walking around your office and introducing you to people, chatting with your employees, your clients. We actually see so much better results for stuff that's imperfect stuff that has mistakes in it or typos in it or stuff up because it makes us so much more human. It makes us so much more real. Uh, The organizations out there that are putting together the really polished, perfect corporate messages, particularly in the charity space, we tend to doubt them a little bit more. We tend to be like, either they've already got it so together that they don't need our help because they already look like they already know what they're doing and they don't need my dollars or my volunteering time to support. Um, or, you know, we just start to question them. 
if we're rough, we're real, we're transparent and vulnerable, and we talk about the things that go wrong and talk about the mistakes and the things that don't quite work out the way we intend, I think we just connect with people in so much more of a human way. Um, you know, for us on our social, my whole team, as I said, is very family orientated. So we share photos of funny things our kids did or our kids hanging out in the corner of the office or, um, you know, us doing crazy, silly things that we do. And our thinking is very much if, if somebody looks at that and goes, oh, you know, they're so unprofessional. I wouldn't want to work like a company like that. They're just not someone we would want to work with anyway. Yeah. So that's got to be okay. You've got to attract your type of people to what you're trying to do. And I think the best way to do that is just be authentically yourself. And that's where it comes down to story versus content. If you're just sharing facts and information and this happened and that happened, you're just creating content. I want to tell stories. I want people to get to know you and to trust you and build a relationship with you and an emotional connection. That's the only way they're going to support you. That's why they're going to want to give you money. That's why they're going to want to come and help you. It's going to why they donate, you know, they're all blankets to you or they trust you enough to, to follow your advice and go get vaccinated or go do whatever it is you're trying to tell them to do because you've built trust. And that doesn't happen from being perfect. Yeah, agreed. Wonderful. And if someone is listening and they want to get hold of you or they want to access your services or how, how would you, um, where would you direct them? Definitely check out our website. We have a brand new spanking website. We actually built in 11 days ourselves. It just launched a week ago. Uh, HancockCreative.com.au. You can check that out. We've got a lot of free resources on there as well. So we've got kind of events that are coming up, my free classes that I run online. Uh, there's lots of downloads and guides and all the kind of cool freebie stuff we've created. People can subscribe to our emails where we send out lots of like, this has just changed on Instagram or here's a how to do something like we just did one on how to create a LinkedIn newsletter. You get a lot of that kind of content from us. And then also there's obviously the opportunity to then reach out to us and say, hey, we actually need help writing a strategy or we actually need a mentor to help us or we need a course. And then we can point you in the right direction of how we can help you depending on what you need and your budget. But um, I would love for you to go and check out our website. And if you want to chat or you've got questions, you can always reach out to us. And if we're not the right person to help you, we're always just going to help point you in the right direction. So you go to somebody who can actually deliver what it is you need. And before you go, I just want to get a sense from you what you're most excited about that you can see uh, online or in the digital world. Um, is, there, is there a person? Is there an organisation? Is there a trend? Is there something that's really getting you excited? Oh, that's a really good question. I get excited about so many things. <laughs> um, I think the trend I'm most excited about is that charities and causes are getting digital. They're getting serious about it. They're running digital events. They're integrating social and everything they're doing. But there's so many good opportunities that people in this space were just overlooking. Like people are looking at LinkedIn and saying, oh, it's just a virtual CV. I go on LinkedIn if I'm looking for a job. No, LinkedIn is incredibly powerful for um, raising money. We do volunteer recruitment programs on there all the time. It's great for networking, bringing corporate supporters and sponsors and partners. 
And LinkedIn is so underserved. If you're creating great content, only 20% of the users are actually creating content on LinkedIn. Everybody else is just there kind of listening. There's a huge opportunity there for not-for-profits to really do something different, which I love. Um, In terms of trends in the space, the other big thing is TikTok. Um, It's really blowing up. It's the fastest growing and it's where the younger audiences are. And certainly for a lot of students I talk to, one of the biggest challenges we have is that our supporters are aging out of the space. Um, We need new audiences, new connections, so we need to get better at reaching younger people earlier and engaging them with our stories. So TikTok is a huge opportunity for people to explore that I think they're writing off a little bit at the moment. Yeah, wonderful. Um, Yeah, personally, no to TikTok, but I'm definitely on LinkedIn. Uh, And what I love about LinkedIn is actually just people behave better on LinkedIn, actually. There's less haters. Twitter, uh, yeah, interesting. No, everyone ignores me on Twitter. That's fine. Um, there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of hate on Twitter. But um, you know, a, a, have you come across? Have you had haters? Because that, in some ways, that's sometimes a good thing, eh? Because at least you're being noticed. But have you had haters, and have you? How have you dealt with them? Of course, like we all do. Um, I think in the early days, I'm quite empathetic and I'm quite sensitive, and they really hurt me early on, like some of my first experiences. Um, An example that comes to mind is um, we were running a grant program for years. We have this huge 12-month program we work with people on where we spend a whole year mentoring them and training them and there are clients that get like these massive growth changes and these huge results. And we actually had a grants program that we were covering, like we were choosing a small number of organisations and we were subsidising the program so it was kind of less than cost. And I remember having someone turn around afterwards and going, you know, um, you know, great sales pitch, you know, bet you do really well and you're sitting back in your Mercedes with all this charity money. And it just gutted me. I was like, yeah. you don't know me at all. Like, that's just so the opposite of who I am. And I remember talking to one of my mentors and I'd mentioned it briefly to him. And then I was talking to him again. He's like, why are we still talking about this? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's just, I can't believe somebody sees me that way. And he's like, between that comment and now, how many people have you helped? How many people have said how amazing you are? How many people have sent you thank you letters? How many people have sent you gifts and cards and notes and, you know, loved something you've shared with them? I'm like, well, quite a lot. It's like, well, so why are you so fixated on that one person who just didn't get you? And I think I've learned to embrace over time. Not everyone gets us. Um, We're different. We're not a registered charity. We're set up as a business. We don't make any money. It's not what we do. We're all about putting our, when we do make money, it all goes straight back into helping more people. So we are different to other people. We do do things differently. So it makes sense that not everyone's going to get us and not everyone's going to understand us. And I think that's just okay. Um, And as far as the social platforms go, you know, I love them all equally as my children. They all have their place. It's, again, comes down to that strategy. You know, you are here if you're trying to reach this audience and achieve this goal. This one is really crap for this, but really amazing if you're trying to reach people over the age of 60. This one is going to be really good if you're trying to raise money because it's got embedded fundraising options. Like, they're all have their place in the ecosystem. And obviously as an individual, I'm going to like one more than another using it myself. But that's where strategy comes in because people tend to pick the one they like and pick the one they feel most comfortable on instead of picking the one that's actually going to get them the outcome their organisation needs to grow. Yeah, back to that strategy piece again. And um, do you limit your your use uh, at home Do you, or do you, um, you write in there? 
I don't really live in it. I'm definitely there a little bit too much. Um, I, I found over the years I share a lot less of my personal account stuff. Like I don't post a lot, post a lot to my personal Facebook anymore or my own Instagram as much. I do a lot of stories and behind the scenes stuff because I'm doing it for the brand and the business. Most people who look for me are looking for me as Hancock Creative and as somebody they've met in that space. So they're following the company and organizational pages, but I'm definitely on all the channels. I'm kind of watching it. I've got to be there to know what's happening, what's trending. Otherwise, I can't advise people on what's working if I don't know what's happening in the space myself. But I also need to have the moment sometimes where, you know, my son's like, you know, can you just put down your phone and can we just, and it's like, yeah, I have to have those times where it's like, no, the phone is in the other room. And I took leave last month and I literally went up north here in WA and literally my phone stayed in my room. We were out about all day. I didn't even have it with me. I think you have to have those times where you unplug and do that as well. It's all about a balance. Proper detox. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, really good to hear from you and big respect for what you're doing in the world and um, good luck for the year ahead and great to hear that um, that Perth and Australia are starting to relax things a bit and um, yeah, let's stay connected. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the opportunity. I know you've got an incredible audience in the UK and all around the world. So as always, I, I just love the fact that we're in such a connected digital world that we can just reach out to someone on the other side of the world and have a great conversation like this that reaches new people. It's pretty awesome. So thank you so much for the opportunity and, and for all the great stuff that you do as well, Mark. No problem at all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing because I sure do. 